Good morning, church. Morning. Scripture reading this morning will come from the book of Acts, the fifth chapter. We'll commence in verse 27 and culminate in verse 42. And it reads, The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand and prince excuse me, right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance for forgiveness of their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared claiming to be somebody and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All of his followers were dispersed and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles and, and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple, courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. This is God's word. You may be seated. Before we pray, um, last Last Saturday, we had our annual fall festival, and as you know, uh, our adopted elementary school over on Nacogdoches, Oak Grove, uh, lots of flyers went out in uh, the backpacks and the lunch boxes of those little kiddos, and uh, there were other ways that these flyers were distributed in that neighborhood, inviting them to come to our church parking lot this last, this last Saturday and, and to, uh, to, to go by the trunks and get candy, and there was a moon bounce and food and games and all of these kinds of things, and it was just one of our ways of, of making an inroad into the community to make friends and to, to get acquainted with people that we typically don't, don't know very well and to give them an idea of the kind of folk that we are. And uh, the count that I was given is we had about 450 kids and their families that showed up in our church parking lot for a couple of hours, and it was, it was a great Saturday for all of us to be together and to work and, and to bless some folk in our community. And then yesterday, we had uh, ACU, we hosted ACU, and 143 elders and their spouses and uh, ministers from all over South Texas 
for most of the day learning about cultural uh, trends in the United States and the religious landscape, and, and it was a great day, and it was greatly appreciated, and, and uh, folks, I think, were very much blessed. And at the, uh, the center of all of these events is um, an organizer and somebody that, uh, that has skills in being able to communicate and to organize and to kind of see things uh, uh, several, several uh, steps ahead of time in order to avoid some, some mistakes or some, some, uh, some, uh, some uh, social uh, uh, mistakes and things like that and trying to get people together. And I want us to, to recognize uh, Richard Chow for just a second and, and show our appreciation to him. Uh, we're we're a church that uh, I I think our our church staff is is really exceptional, and uh, Richard is is has been a member of our staff longer than anybody, uh, Douglas after that, and then me believe it or not, and uh, I, I I just think that if you have a chance to send an encouragement card to to Richard and show your appreciation to him, I know that that would bless him. Uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter five and other places in the Bible this morning. But before we do that, as we always do before we go into God's Word, that's ask God to bless us. Let's bow our heads. Oh, Holy Father, and our precious God, it is in this extraordinary hour that we come together and, and we pause as we gather to hear Your Word. To do so, Father, we break from the responsibilities of our vocation, the work that you have given us. We take a, a break from our diversions and our amusements and our play. We pray to move away from the fears that come into our hearts and minds that threaten to overwhelm us. We pray, Father, to move away from the ambitions that at times are way too strong. Free us, we ask, in the name of Jesus, in this moment from every distraction, that we may focus, that we may listen, that we may hear, that we may see, and that we may change. And so we ask again, Father, that you bless us with eyes that see and ears that hear in such a way, Father, that we are transformed. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all the church said, Amen. We are in a series of lessons that we're calling This Is Us, which sort of in, inspired in kind of a roundabout way by the TV show that is about a family that is like no other family. When uh, Adrian got up to, to pray this morning, he prayed specifically about the events that took place yesterday in Pittsburgh where death toll now from the shooting in that synagogue is now 11 people. Before that, in the days of this last week, there was all kinds of other acts of violence, uh, the sending of pipe bombs through the mail and that kind of, 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 of violence and meanness in our country. Lots of times people, they, they, they begin to panic at these kinds of reports. And I would, I would say that while we should be concerned, we should never panic. 
we should never panic. Because God is alive in His creation and He is at work through His people. And this day, like every other day that has preceded it for the last 2,000 plus years, our world is in need of people that say, the world is doing some crazy things out there. And our sister this morning in talking about some of this said, it's been a nutty week. There are nutty things happening in our world. But our world needs people like us who are disciples of Jesus of Nazareth to not just say this is a truth, but this is what this truth looks like when it's lived out in flesh and blood by people who recognize God not just as a truth, but a creator and a savior and a guide and all of those things that the Bible describes him as. The world needs people who don't just say we are in him. But as John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, that we claim to be in Him, and the way that you know that is that we walk as Jesus walked. That is, that's our way of life. And if there is any way for our communities and our nation and our culture to see the way that life is supposed to be lived, it's going to be in a church like us, where we say, this is God and this is His teaching, and this is His love, this is the gospel, this is the resurrection, and this is what it means for us to to embody that, and to grasp it, and to embrace it, and to be saturated and overwhelmed by it, to say, this is us. The way that humanity was always supposed to be. And so in this series, we've been talking about what it is that we do in this community, and what it is that makes a mark on the hearts and the minds of people that we come in contact with. One of the things is that we, we make it better. We're not the people that make it worse. We're the people that make it better. Jesus is described in Acts chapter 10 as going around and doing good. We're the people that do good acts. We're the people that say good words, encouraging words. We're the people that help people to flourish and to thrive. And we are the people that bring the gospel into the hearts of human beings. And it takes a special kind of a person to do that. Especially in a culture where every mistake, every weakness is scrutinized and publicized and talked about ad infinitum, ad nauseum. So we are also the people who die to self in order to live for Him. We are people who understand what it means to deny ourself because there was one who died for us and changed our lives completely in order for us not to live, but Christ to live in us. We are also the people who choose to be unoffendable. Jesus, as the Son of God, the most perfect life, the without blemish human being, the smartest person, the most sensitive person, the most loving person who ever lived, was able to go into into the presence of people that were offensive to everyone else, from a known sinner in a town to a Samaritan woman at a well in the middle of the day, to a sawed-off social misfit chief tax collector that would climb up into a sycamore tree, all of these people that were offensive to everyone else, Jesus was able to go into their life and not just engage them, but to engage them in such a way that their lives were changed. We are the people that will not allow, we are the people of the gospel who will not allow ourselves to be separated from the people who need the gospel one offense at a time.
And that's a big thing. I know it. That's why we have to deny ourselves. But we also have to realize that it's, it's not about us. It's not about us. That was the lesson last week. That, that it's not just service for the sake of service, but it's sacrificial service because at our heart we're imitating Jesus who was a servant. And we talked about all of the implications of that. Now we want to continue it this morning by talking about another aspect of what it means to be this family that is like no other. And I want to begin with something that we do a lot in this culture. We talk about things that go together well, and we talk about things that do not go together. In fact, they're surprising when they go together. Some of the things that do not make sense when they're put together is this. Fried liver and anything. It might be Diet Cokes and donuts. Do not go together. One that uh, uh, kind of bothers me a little bit because I feel like I need to do a little research on this is olive oil and vanilla ice cream. Yeah, I know. I'm going to try it. I will get back and I will report. Maybe next week. Maybe we'll put it in the bulletin. Who knows? Olive oil and vanilla ice cream, this one lady said, will change your life. Change your life. Olive oil and vanilla ice cream. <laughs> I'm going to give it a shot. Here is something that doesn't seem to go together except in the kingdom of God, and that's sacrifice and joy. That always startles people when they're reading the Bible for the first time, especially in the New Testament. And that is not always true of every human being. Some people will hold grudges because of sacrifices that they make. But in the heart of a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, at the heart of people like us who declare not only that there is a God, but He came to us in the life of Jesus and lived a perfect life and lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have, de- that should have died, but in the heart of people that are trying to emulate His life, there will be a sense of joy and sacrifice. Over in the book of Acts, what is it that the disciples are telling those first missionaries as they're getting ready to go out actually on the second trip? They said, remember what Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Think about our text this morning. We go Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit comes down on everyone. Peter gets up and preaches the first sermon to clarify that they're not drunk, but they, that they are filled with joy and they're filled with God's Spirit because of the resurrection. And people are cut to the heart. 3,000 baptized on that day. Church is established. We get to Acts chapter 3, and as Peter and John are going along, the hour of prayer, they're at the temple, and they're by the beautiful gate. There's the healing of a man who is lame. And everyone is excited about this miracle that takes place. It is a moment of joy. And Peter sees it as an opportunity to preach, again, in the name of Jesus. Well, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are put in prison. All this activity, this preaching and this healing, it comes to the attention of the, the, the temple authorities. And Peter and John are put in prison. They're told not to preach nor to teach in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. And what is it that those cats do when they get back to the church? They go into a room with the church, and they are not afraid. They're not overwhelmed. They don't panic. You know what they do? They pray that they might have the courage to speak the message more boldly. 
And guess what happens? God blesses that prayer. And the room is shaken as they are together praying that prayer. While we roll into Acts chapter 5, the Christians are meeting there in Solomon's portico, in Solomon's porch. The high priests and the Sadducees, they notice this. They said, this is so upsetting. We've told them not to do this. They arrest all of the apostles, put them in jail. And you know what God does? Because they prayed that prayer in Acts 4, sends an angel. Angel opens up all the cell doors, uh, loosens all of the things that were binding it, and they're able to go out. And guess where they go? Back to the temple where they were told not to go in order to preach the message again. And then all of a sudden, they're grabbed up again. They're taken before the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin is furious. We have authority. Our word's supposed to mean something. You're supposed to obey us. We told you not to do this. And then in verse 28, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And then Peter and the other apostles, they look into the eyes of the accusers and they say, we must obey God rather than what? Human beings, which means rather than you. Well, the Sanhedrin, they're not used to that kind of backtalk. And they want to put all of these guys to death. But instead, they end up having them flogged, which was not an easy thing to survive. And they order them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And then in one of the most startling, astonishing passages in Acts, the apostles left the Sanhedrin. And what are they doing, church? What are they doing? Rejoicing, because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. The apostles leave with joy that they were able, had been counted worthy, had the opportunity to suffer for the name of Jesus. You know as well as I do that sacrifice is not easy. It is not ever easy because sacrifice is about loss. It's about giving something up for a greater purpose. For missionaries like the Dyes and the Hills, Mariah Richter and others from our church family that have have, have gone off to a foreign land to teach people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the loss of context and of culture and of comfort for many of them, like the three I just mentioned, it's learning another language. It's the sacrifice, that is, the loss of the presence of family and friends. I remember the first time that a a friend of mine from Africa, who could not speak English very well, had gone to ACU. And he was, he was studying to get a, a, a degree in education and wanted to go back to Zimbabwe in order to be a, a principal of a school and had been, you know, was being supported to get that education. Did not know American stores, did not know American products, but he was, he was walking down an aisle and he, he was hungry and he was looking for something to eat. And he saw um, a can about yay big and it had a picture of fried chicken on it. And he said, that looks like chicken. I love chicken. I'm going to eat chicken. On the top of the can, it said Crisco. Imagine his surprise. 
I, Ellen and I knew this guy. We felt so horrible for him, and, and we helped him get some groceries. But he dug through all that Crisco looking for food. It was a sacrifice for him to come to the United States. Sometimes what we sacrifice is safety. Ellen and I were living in Brazil during the first Gulf War. Brazilians loved Americans. We went into Brazil right after the Reagan years. We loved the Brazilians. They, they are some of the most fabulous, awesome people in the entire world. But there was a road that I went to the church down every day. And the day after that war started, uh, driving down that road, and there was a sign. It wasn't addressed to me. It was just graffiti addressed to everybody. Whoever graffiti is addressed to, that's who it was addressed to. It said, Yankees, go home. For the first time, I realized that I was outside the United States. That was a big one in the early years of the church. Safety. Between the time of Acts 5 and around A.D. 300, there were several systematic persecutions of the church. For a period of time, it was illegal to be a Christian, and yet the Christians, in, in great sacrifices, they made their faith evident in joy as they were dying by singing the praises of God and praying for those that would, that would kill them, that were crucifying them, that was, those that were executing. Peter knew what this was about. In 1 Peter 1, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. James said, Consider it joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. Paul, who knew a lot about what it meant to sacrifice and to suffer for the kingdom of God, says, you know, here's, here's the thing when it comes to my, my life in the kingdom as an apostle. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep, meaning he was at sea. I have been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers from false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. That was his description of being the, the, the job description of an apostle in the first century. That's a lot of sacrifice. And yet this same Paul, while he is in prison, tells the church in Philippi, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say what? Rejoice. Our degree of sacrifice may not be like that, but it can be. Not getting the promotion. Because of our faith. Not getting the spouse because of our con convictions of faith. Not getting the respect, being ridiculed for who we say is at the core of our life. But the Bible teaches that in the kingdom of God, sacrifice and a sense of joy go together. 
Three truths about sacrifice. First, sacrifice intensifies love for the object of our sacrifice. Sacrifice for a cause or a person can always go one of two ways, right? It can feel like a duty and there's an anvil on top of us. It's just heavy to sacrifice in this way. Or it can be love. Love involves sacrifice and it intensifies the love. I mean, think for a moment, parents, of every loving sacrifice you made for your children. Whoever, who, who has ever lovingly sacrificed for their kids and it made them love them less? You say to a son or a daughter, my sacrifice for you cost 23.5% of my love for you. So in actuality, I love you 23.5% less, make it 24% because we always round up. No one says that. What you sacrifice brings to mind the worth of what it is you are sacrificing for, and it it intensifies the love. Sacrifice is an expression of love that intensifies that that sacrifice, that love. And that is what is at the heart of fasting. God did not give us this, the discipline of fasting in order for us to just go out, to, to, to go without food and to say, I am really miserable. In fact, Jesus says the opposite, right? Jesus says when you're fasting, make sure you comb your hair, make sure you, you, you put your makeup on, make sure you wash your face and you're smiling. Let only God know what you're fasting about because fasting is an important part of developing a relationship with God. When you are fasting, you are saying, I am sacrificing something good for something greater. When you fast, you're saying, I'm hungrier for God than I am for regular food. You're saying when you fast, I would rather go without food than to go without you, God. When you fast, you're saying, I want to love you more than I I love food. Paul sacrificed, and we read about it a few minutes ago. And it only intensified his love for the church. In the very next verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. The people who love this church, I would dare say, are the ones who have sacrificed the most for it. And it comes from love. And that is where the joy stems. Remember last week we were talking about John 13 and the washing of the disciples' feet. You know, Jesus is is washing feet. And there is no indication in the text that, I mean, he's just got that scrub brush out and he's got some, some, some SOS pads. And he's just really scrubbing on those feet. I mean, he didn't even go to, to... to Judas and scrub his feet and everybody go, I wonder what is up with that. But if he had done that, that would have made sense. That would have made sense. But why are they astonished at it? It is because Christ is doing it lovingly. In fact, at the beginning of chapter 13, This is not so much a passage about service, which it is, as it is about love. Having loved his own, he gets up, puts a towel around his waist, and that was what astonished them. 
Uh, Number two, sacrifice defines our life more than successes. In the nearly 40 years of ministry, I have never had anyone come into my office in preparation for a funeral and ask him, what what is it that you would like for me to say about this person that you love, your your dad or your mom, as we, we talk about them and celebrate their life? In nearly 40 years, no one has ever said to me, he was a great dad because he had X number of dollars in the bank. No one has ever said, my mom was a great mom because when we were poor, she made sure she got the most food at dinner. Instead, you hear things about sacrifice. My dad drove that old truck longer than he should have because he was sacrificing to put me through school. Or my mom never bought a new dress because she was going to make sure that we kids had clothes to wear. And when we think about the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, the one whose life we emulate and imitate, the forfeiture of his life for our lives was what defined him. When you think about Jesus of Nazareth, what is the emblem that comes to mind? The cross. Last thing I say because we're out of time. Sacrifice for the kingdom of God brings reward. It brings reward. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, these disciples are, have said, listen, we've left everything to follow you. We've left everything. And Jesus says to them in Mark 10 verse 29, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake. And for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Let me give you just a a simple challenge here, real quick, and we're done. Sometime in 2019 or 2020, start thinking about it and praying about it today. But sacrifice one week of your vacation to do a short-term mission trip uh, somewhere in the United States or abroad. Save your money. Sacrifice things. Sacrifice that vacation time in order to serve people in the name of Jesus in some, some place. Or it might be doing something like a working for a Habitat for Humanity, or or, or find some way that you can take a week of your vacation and just find a way in the name of Jesus to sacrifice and serve other people in His name. Well, it's a difficult thing. I get that. The only thing that I would say in closing is something that I've said a number of times over the year, and that is, you know, how how do you do this? You sacrifice, you go through the suffering, and, and the joy somehow supposed to erupt out of it. Well, we know it's possible. We know it's possible. Because that's what happened to Christ when he died on the cross. In Hebrews chapter 12, there's this really magnificent passage that says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross with all of its shame and death, and cruelty, and all of that. 
You know, you think about the joy. What was it? What was it that, that Jesus did not have when he was God the Father, God the Son, God the, God the Spirit in heaven in harmony, you know, in, linked in love, perfect love, tranquility and harmony, that he, he was willing to come and die on the cross? What was that joy that was so lacking that he would do that? And the answer is us. Us. We were that joy that was set before him. I believe with all of my heart that there is something special that happens when in the name of Jesus you pick up your cross and you follow him. You deny yourself. You die daily. And you walk as he walked. And one of the things that happens as you invest your life in becoming like Jesus and loving people the way that Jesus did is you find your life filled with a sense of joy that you have never experienced anywhere else. And it's a joy generated by God. If there are some ways that we can minister to you this morning, we're going to have three shepherds down here at the front. We're going to be singing a song of praise to God. If there are ways that we can share the gospel with you, to talk to you about how you become a child of God, or things that we can pray about for you as a church family, we want you to come down and talk to these shepherds right now as we stand and praise God together. Tis so 